I'm Tommy Salmons. This is Year Zero. I invited Matthew Ho on the podcast. Matthew is a war veteran and a writer, and uh, he has openly talked about suffering from PTSD, and we wanted to get a podcast out about PTSD and how it's affecting soldiers, why it's affecting soldiers, and what is what is happening during the time of perpetual war. And uh, being the first time we got on the on and chatted with each other, it turned into uh, a Rogan-esque type of interview in which we discuss PTSD for about an hour, and then we have another 45 minutes to an hour of random conversation about politics and, you know, the way that the political um, teams are structured, I guess you could say. And uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I think this is going to be a fun conversation for all of you. So here is my interview with Matthew Ho. Okay. I am here with Matthew Ho. Uh, Matthew is a veteran and he has served much of his life overseas fighting for your freedoms, as you would be told. But I think Matthew might have a little bit of a different story and he might shed some light on what's going on with the generations, the future generations of, of military men and women in what they're dealing with. How you doing, Matthew? Good, Tommy. Thank you for having me on. I am so excited to have you on. It's one of the it's one of the episodes I've I've actually like contemplated so long. I'm nervous, you know. Even though you and I, like, <laughs> even though you and I chat on Facebook like fairly regularly, like we'll, we'll yeah, yeah, on yeah, each other stuff. But I, it's 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 not that I'm nervous because I think that you're such a celebrity. I'm nervous because I think <laughs> it's so impactful. You know. And, and oh, good, so. good. So I think it's a it's a really important episode we're about to record here. Terrific, yeah. Well, again, thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I appreciate everything you do. Like before we get in, too far into the weeds and in, in, in the conversation we're going to have, I just want to let you know that I do appreciate you being willing to speak out on your personal um, struggles and the things that you've had to deal with because it's not easy for everybody to do that. Yeah, thanks. But, you know, I, I speak out because it does help me. It does help to talk about it. You know, it does help to get it out. It does help to um, normalize it, um, you know, uh, to a degree. But I also do it because one of the reasons why um, it may be the main reason why I started getting help um, was because I heard other men and women talking about it, you know. So uh, I had a girlfriend who made me literally made me watch these videos and I forget the name of the website. Um, mm. This is about 10 years or so ago now. And it was, you know, guys and gals just like me, you know, combat veterans talking about what they're going through very openly, very clearly, very, uh, uh, you know, just, just very plainly speaking it forthrightly and earnestly. And, um, you know, and mentally, you know that other people are going through it. Um, you know, you, 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 you can read the newspapers, you can, you, 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 you recognize it because guys, you know, are killing themselves, 
uh, or friends of friends of ki- are killing themselves, uh, you know, fellow veterans. But you know, it, it doesn't make that kind of impact. It doesn't. It doesn't hit that part of your brain where it makes it personal for you, even though all that's you're going through all that stuff. You've got this door closed, I guess, in your head, right? right. That uh, you're refusing to open to admit to your problems. I think much like any other type of problem. And, um, you know, even though you just punched the refrigerator, you know, and now you've got this big dent on a refrigerator, uh, you know, which... Uh, Folks, if you're out there listening, you've punched a stainless steel refrigerator. You can use a plunger to get the uh, get the dent out. I learned that from another guy who had done a similar kind of thing. So, but no, I, I remember you know my girlfriend at the time Meg made me watch these videos and you know these testimonies basically. And you know, oh my God, that's exactly uh, what I'm going through. Right. You know, or or, yeah. or or you know, and then okay, well they got through it you know, or they're getting through it or they're getting better. Well, okay, let's keep watching the video. Or if you're reading something, let's, let's turn a page and see what they did, you know, and that, and so a lot of it is just giving back because other, other men and women have made these same kind of testimonies, spoken about what they're going through, you know, spoken about their problems their troubles, their issues. And um, yeah. And then I know other men and women will follow after me and do the same kind of thing. It's the only way we keep each other alive is by talking about it because if you don't talk about it, guys and gals are not going to get help and they're going to continue to descend. And the only way out of that descent, if you don't get professional help is by, you know, as so many of them do, you end up putting a gun in your mouth. So, yeah. Yeah. No. And that's, that's, that's horrible. And I mean, it brings tears to my eyes thinking about it. I mean, I've been, I might be extra emotional today for whatever reason. I've been sitting around thinking about a friend of mine who died at 33 years old and it it wasn't anything near like what you're dealing with. It was, it was natural events, but I've been thinking about him. He was a friend of mine for, he was my longest friend, 20 years. And, and so I think that's kind of put me in a frame of mind to where I can talk to you about your friends. But before we get into um, details about any of the things you just mentioned. What I want to ask you, how is the new puppy going along? Oh, thanks. She's good. Uh, and, and Hey, man, I'm, I'm really sorry about your friend. I mean, you, you said it, he, the way he passed was naturally, but my thoughts when you said that was it's unnatural for a 33 year old to die. Yeah. Right? It's not, it'd be one thing, right? This is your friend. So you guys have been friends since you were kids, you know, since you were high like, school, 13 yeah. or so, yeah. right? Yeah. Since high school. So like, it'd be one thing if he passed away when you guys were in your seventies or eighties or nineties, that's, you know, but it's not natural. It, this, it isn't the middle ages anymore. Right. You know I mean? Like our life expectancy doesn't end at 29 or whatnot. Um, so it is unnatural and I'm really sorry because that's something it's, it's just hard to lose someone in, in, at that age. It just is. It's cause it's not natural. It's not right. We're not conditioned for it as human beings, you know, to, that's why it's so awful when you go to these funerals and you see the moms because to see yeah. a mother have to lose a child, it's just not natural for us, you know, and segueing to like dogs. That's why it's so hard when we lose an animal, when we lose a dog or a cat, pet, horse, whatever, because it's not natural for us to have to give up and bury one of our children or one of our friends, you know, it's just not natural at, right. Like that's not how the human beings we work, you know? Um, 
in terms of our lifespans, in terms of our, our children, in terms of, of generations. But no, Lily is great. We just took about a two hour long hike. Um, oh, nice. Uh, this morning. Yeah, yeah. We've got a, a whole bunch of man-made reservoir, reservoirs and lakes uh, around where I live here in Raleigh. Um, some really nice trails and, and just really pretty day here today. So she is sleeping very well on the couch. Uh, if I walk uh, this computer and microphone over there, you could hear her snoring. <laughs> so she snores like a pit does. And the other thing too is that we're safe. We should be safe from her. Um, there's a couple of dogs that walk through our apartment complex that she absolutely hates for whatever reason. So when she sees them through the window, she goes bonkers. But she's so passed out right now. I think we should be uh, safe from Lily interrupting this podcast. I don't mind if she does. I got, I have two six month old pit bulls that might interrupt us. So, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen the photos. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. You here. were one of the, you were one of the, actually, you were one of the first people that, that showed sympathy whenever, um, pinky died in December. And I really mm. appreciate that. Like that meant a lot. To oh me. yeah. No, it's just, it, it, it's, it, it's terrible. I mean, like, and I've got, I mean, like to lose one is just, you know, you're, you're losing a child basically in a sense of their dependence on you, but then your relationship and yeah, yeah it's yeah. something, but there's a, uh, there's a, uh, a, a great Kipling poem, you know, from a hundred some odd years ago called to give your heart to a dog to tear. And, you know, Kipling wrote this great poem. As uh, much as I like poetry, about, I don't yeah, think yeah, this I've dog heard is, that one. I'll send it to you after afterwards. And Absolutely. Yeah, to give your heart will, to a dog to tear. Really yeah. Love it. And he basically says, you know, like you love this dog. I mean, like he's so wonderful, everything else, but guess what? In 10 years time, he is going to rip your heart in two, yeah. you know, because he's going to die because that's what happens. That's the, but the alternative is, is not the alternative is not to have them in our lives. Right. So what right. are you going to do? George, you know, George Carlin had yeah, a bit. But, I don't, I don't know if you're a George Carlin fan, but George Carlin. Had oh yeah, of course. Like yeah. George Carlin had a bit about that that said that when you go to the pet store, they, they should put a warning label on the animal that you're buying, that you're buying a small tragedy. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. 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 There's no, um, uh, there's, there's no good way about it. I had a dog passed away three years ago and from, and she had a heart attack uh, in her sleep or something happened in her sleep and it was her time to go anyway. Like literally I was just trying to figure out when I was going to take her to the vet, you know, and, and fortunately, I mean, she, she absolved me of having to do that and it still sucked though. And she was a 13 year old Weimaraner. So she had lived a wonderful, good life and everything, but it still sucks. Like it's still, I mean, everything about it sucked. You know, the only saving thing was like, I didn't have to do it you know, but that was going to happen in the next week or two regardless. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I, and I can't imagine having a life without, you know, uh, animals in my life. Um, but yeah, Carlin's absolutely right. Yeah. You're, you're, you're buying a future, a future tragedy. Yeah. And okay. How uh, have you seen the German shepherd since last? Uh... No, I have not, but I, uh, I, so for, People who are listening, I had a German Shepherd. Uh, my wife and I separated in the fall. She kept the dogs, uh, and then I came down here in North Carolina. So I ended up getting uh, my friend runs a rescue. Um, I had 
I texted him, said, Hey, I'm looking to get a dog. He said, how do you feel about it? Like literally almost right away, he texted back, said, how do you feel about a German shepherd? I said, okay. And, um, I ended up, uh, fostering the dog for a couple of weeks, I guess is probably the right way to, to call it, kept her out of the shelter. Uh, but she was, a like a, a 22 month old, um, hadn't been to the vet in like more than 18 months was completely untrained, wasn't even housebroken. She was the biggest female German Shepherd I've ever seen. She was enormous. She's um, gorgeous. You know, oh, she was gorgeous. She's been, yeah. and she had the best disposition. She was a sweetheart. She was so wonderful, but she was completely untrained. And that was just too much. Not what, not what someone who's got PTSD, someone who's got a brain injury, you know, someone who's got, <laughs> that's not what I needed, um, you know? And, uh, but she was so wonderful, but she was, uh, you know, but a shepherd, man. I mean, yeah, three months later or however many months later, I'm still vacuuming up the hair from her, you know? Um, but uh, she is... At, uh, with my friend Ronnie, who runs this rescue, uh, and she is at his place. He's got an acre of yard that's fenced in, um, and she's got three other dogs that are with her, one of whom is like this. I forget what he is. He's like a pit, a pit shepherd mix or something like that, a pit lab mix or something, and he's a psycho, that dog. All he does is run for like all – and, and so they're like boyfriend-girlfriend now. Um, and yeah, last I heard, and he's gonna, he's training her and Ronnie's good, you know? And so he's training her and, uh, yeah. So what happened was I said, Ronnie, this, I can't, this dog is just not, she's not the right thing for me, you know? And, um, cause it's just, she's causing me problems. She's, she's, she's making issues for me because she's not trained, you know? Yeah. And, um, he said, well, how do you feel about like a five-year-old female pit? And I said, fine. And yeah, basically swapped the dogs out. And I brought Lily home um, and he had gotten Lily out of a shelter about six months or so ago. And um, she is just the, she's uh, pretty too, uh, like, no doubt, but oh, she's gorgeous. Yeah. A German shepherd. Yeah. I, I, the, I remembered when you gave oh. her up and, and the post that you put and you're like, man, like as much as I hate to do this, it's the most healthy thing for me and her. Uh, oh yeah, absolutely. And but, yeah, I know it broke your heart and I felt bad for you because it had only been two months since Pinky had died. And I was just like, Oh man, mm. I feel so bad for him, you know? So, but you know, it, it, and it was, and I think, you know, um, if this had been a number of years ago, if I hadn't been through so much therapy and everything, I wouldn't have recognized that she was not the right thing for me. And out of guilt or out of some like misguided sense of responsibility, I would have kept her and yeah. she would have made things worse and worse. First of all, I'm in a one bedroom apartment, which is no place for a huge juvenile German shepherd. It's There's no I mean, like not the right person. place anyway. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> That's kind of true. I mean, like, yeah, it's kind of true, you know? Um, but Lily, I mean, like she, like we take our, we take our big walk every day, like about an hour or so. And then we walk a couple other times a day and then she's cool with sleeping the rest of the day. You know, and when I have my, I suffer from very bad migraines that can last for 15, 16, 18 hours. She is wonderful. She just lays next to me. She doesn't need to go out. She's got a bladder. I've never seen a dog that's got a bladder like she does. It's amazing. <laughs> um, it, which is, and, and it works because like there are times like I physically can't take her out. Right. You know, I mean, I could, but it would be very difficult and it would be very painful and everything. And she's fine. I mean, she literally is fine. She, she, you know, and then when I do take her out, if we've had this like period of time and I'm like, oh my God, I got to get the dog out. We go out 
and she just kind of walks around for a while before she goes to the bathroom. So she literally does have like the greatest bladder uh, <laughs> I've ever encountered in a dog. And it works out very well for me with my conditions and whatnot, because, you know, dogs are a godsend for people who have uh, PTSD or, or, or TBI, traumatic brain injury, as well as other types of issues. You know, people are very familiar, I'm, I'm sure, with all the different types of, so, of service animals that are out there. But, um, you know, in particular, you know, you get, you, with Lily, she matches up with so well with what I need, uh, you know. And then, of course, I, 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 you know, she's a rescue dog. So, uh, you know, giving back to her in that sense that she's got a home, which hopefully she's happy with she hasn't run away so you know well, I mean, assuming she likes it here but, well you uh, gotta yeah. ask yourself at some point who's rescuing who oh absolutely yeah yeah when actually that's what my friend ronnie does is is he runs an organization called wags for tags and he pulls uh, uh dogs out of shelters and we have north carolina we have the highest kill rate uh, for uh, animals in the country, in North Carolina, every year we euthanize over 100,000 dogs and we euthanize over 100,000 cats. We have gas chambers in the west part of the state. We've got so many that they use gas chambers oh, wow. um, for the dogs. Yeah, because um, they have to do they have to do multiple dogs at a time. That's the only way they could get through it in a day, you know? Yeah. And so Ronnie goes, he pulls these, he finds dogs that seem right, and then he matches the dogs up with veterans, yeah. you know, and then the, the dog and the veteran go through training together, you know, and, and a dog gets its good citizen certificate and everything else. But it's that bonding, particularly going through the training that really connects the veteran and the dog. And, you know, Ronnie is also very good about making sure that the dog meets the veteran's needs, that if the, if the veteran has anxiety issue, don't let's not get a dog that's gonna cause more anxiety for the veteran you know um and so like he's very good about making sure that the animal the dog is the right fit for the the, the you know the, the 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 person who's taking on the dog um yeah and it helps and it's not a big operation he, he probably does about 20 dogs a year but he really strives to make sure it's done correctly um that's awesome and, and there's I also really too there's a host that. yeah 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 and he, and he did it because you know he, he got started doing it because he was a vet he's a combat veteran himself and he you know his family was estranged and you know and and he was gonna kill himself gonna drive his truck you know into a barrier or whatever and uh he had a dog back home and his thoughts were well what's gonna happen with sadie you yeah. know and that's, you know, and, and, and he recognized in that, and that's a lot of it is that if you have somebody to live for, if you, you know, that gives you a purpose, you know, and well, let's, from let's, there you build. Let's dig into that a little bit, if you don't mind. I, I want to. Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's talk about your combat experience, number one, and then get into how that affected you as a person. Sure. Um, so I was went to war three times, uh, twice to Iraq and once to Afghanistan. Uh, twice I was on State Department teams, uh, every time embedded, though, with the military. And I was doing political work. Um, so I was always in the midst of the Iraqi or Afghan public. Excuse me. I was always with Iraqi and Afghan politicians. So I was constantly um, off 
off base. You know, I was constantly out in cities and towns and villages out on the road. So yeah, a lot of exposure to IEDs, a lot of exposure to gunfights. When I was in Iraq as a, with the Marines as a a mobilized reservist, um, I had command of a combat engineer company and we were in Anbar province in 06, 07. And that was, uh, you know, I mean, very second deadliest province in the country. So yeah, plenty of, plenty of gunfights, plenty of uh, IEDs, plenty of mortars and rockets. And, um, you know, even the threat of it is uh, something that gives you the PTSD. Um, So very basically, PTSD is uh, what occurs when your body's survival system basically is stuck on, where uh, you've experienced a traumatic event, and now your body's fight or flight system, your limbic system, um, you know, your survival system uh, is, is uh, basically it's stuck. You know, that, that, that valve that regulates your adrenaline and cortisol, your different survival chemicals, is basically kind of stuck open. And, um, you know, that, that's why PTSD exists for people who've been in, uh, you know, uh, car accidents or plane accidents, people who are uh, the victims of assault, uh, people who grew up in abusive uh, 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 homes or are in abusive relationships, anything that's going to kind of make you on edge all the time, um, anything. And so in Iraq or Afghanistan or in war, when you're, you're over there and you're there for eight months or you're there for 12 months or some guys are there for 15 months, you know, and you're basically hunting other people every day and other people are hunting you, well, definitely your survival system is going to, uh, uh, you know, freak out basically. Uh, it's not meant for that. You know, our survival systems are meant because a saber-toothed tiger was going to show up in our cave, right? right? I mean, that's how that evolves. But right. it's not meant to be a 24-7, 365 uh, a system. And so, you, you know, and we have this, we, 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 they, they've done MRIs and, 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 and other scans of the brains of, of soldiers before they've sent them over to Iraq and Afghanistan to see what their brains look like. And then when those kids come home 12 months later, they do it again. And the brain has changed in size and shape because of those survival chemicals that are being kicked out constantly are altering the brain's composition, you know, and, and so you come home. And so for me, you know, even like you go to a, a provincial council meeting, you know, or you're meeting with the governor or whatever you're doing there, there's always the threat of suicide bombers. There's so you're, you're just, you know, there's always the threat of being attacked. So even if you had an experiences where you weren't under fire, you weren't, you know, in contact or whatever with the enemy, uh, just the threat of it, uh, is enough because it's happening every day is enough to, when you come home, you can't turn that off. And so you're constantly scanning crowds. You can't sit with your back without your back to the wall. You know, you want to be facing the doors. You're always looking for an avenue of escape, right? You're always looking for a way out. You're always sizing people up. Uh, you're, you're, you're what you're hyper vigilant, you know, and in the hyper startle, you're like, you're easily startled. So a truck makes a noise or God forbid you hear fireworks, you know, fireworks do sound a lot like gunfire. Um, you know, so you're, you're constantly on, on that, uh, 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 you're constantly ready, you know, you're constantly prepping as well. You're constantly, 
you know, you check the locks of the house. When you work out, you're not just working out to be in shape or to look good or because you've got a, a, a 10K coming up or something like that, but you're working out uh, because you're always, you feel this need to have to be at your max uh, readiness to survive. So it pervades into everything. It pervades into your home life. It pervades into like just the way you handle seemingly normal things. Um, and it does. And then there's another part of it too. Uh, 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 there's, well, there's also the traumatic brain injury part of it, which for most of us has occurred later because there's a latency with a lot of the brain injuries. Uh, I mean, certainly if you had a brain injury where you took a blow to the head or, you know, you were knocked unconscious for a while, uh, you know, you, you, you have symptoms from that show up and that overlaps with the PTSD quite a bit, but there's and then also there's cognitive problems that come along with it. There's issues with migraines and sleep disorders, um, you know, and then of course you have your nightmares um, and both those are TBI and PTSD symptoms. And so the TBI and the PTSD overlap. Uh, for guys like me, where the the uh, brain injury is probably from explosive blast exposure, um, you know that, that's a lot more like what the football players are dealing with, where right. you have um, a latency of symptoms, where it might take 10, 15, 20 years for the symptoms to develop. Um, and so, like mine, only manifested five years or so ago. You know, when I was forty-two years old or so right. is when it manifested, and it had been. And at that point, it had been, uh, you know, at least 10, 12 years since I've been around an explosion, you know, I mean, so at least, you know, so, you know, they're, they're um, you know, and then, but you got another piece of this too, that is, I think the prime, prime vehicle, the prime driver for why so many veterans kill themselves is the moral component is, is the shame, the guilt, the regret mm -hmm. uh, at what they call moral injury. You know, this idea that you've transgressed, that you've transgressed your own values, you've transgressed your religious values, you've transgressed whatever moral code you have. And that can come from a number of different experiences, right? That can come from a number of different circumstances. Uh, you know, chiefly, it's going to be the survivor's guilt, right? You, you know, where something happens, you survive, you didn't save somebody, you know, you're going to go home with that. But then also, too, it's going to be, uh, you know, uh, the witnessing, um, you know, the killing of civilians, taking part in the killing of civilians, even just taking part in the circumstances of the war. You know, that you were part of something that maybe now you see as not just illegitimate, not just immoral, but criminal. Right. I right. mean, a war based on lies and yeah. you took part in it willingly. Uh, you went over there a couple of times, <sighs> you know, as well then too, just the taking of the life of the enemy, you know, the, the guys that were fighting us were guys that were fighting us because we were occupying them. So you take part in combat and maybe you've, you know, and then now years later, as you open these doors in your head, you let yourself have these conversations with yourself. You become exposed to more thinking on it or more, more, or, or, or you just become curious about it and allow yourself to have this conversation. Um, you know, you start to question about what you did and you start to, to think about the people that were fighting us and you realize that, hey, I would have been one of them. I would have done exactly what they were doing. And who was the guy who was wearing the white hat? And who was the guy who was wearing a black hat in that circumstance? Mm. You know, and so the moral aspect of it is something that uh, really causes the most distress. That causes, that's a complete breakdown, a complete tearing away of the foundations of who you are, of yourself. And, you know, Tommy, I can't begin to, to explain 
the depths of the, the darkness that comes with that, the blackness that comes with that, the, the existential uh, collapse that you experience is that was the reason why I, you know, I still deal with suicidality. I mean, and that's the reason why I almost killed myself. And, and it's the reason why, um, you know, I will deal with it for the rest of my life because those guilt issues are still there. And, it, and that is only something that even though um, this has been well-researched, even though it's been known for decades now that guilt is the uh, principal indicator for suicidal ideation and veterans is combat-related guilt, for combat veterans, of course, um, you know, it's, it's only now in the last few years really being taken on. It's only in the last year or so that the VA has started programs to address the effects of killing. You know, right now in the entire VA system, as far as I know, and, and maybe it's, it's changed in the last couple of months, I haven't seen an update. There's only one VA center that runs a program and it's called Effects of Killing um, that actually addresses killing. Right. I mean, you would think the VA would have been on, had been had something like this. But no, the, the stuff that you deal with in the VA, it's not focused specifically on killing or the effects of killing. It had it's it's more general PTSD, more general trauma related, you know, and doesn't get into those issues that, hey, I'm having a, a spiritual, emotional, mental, uh, existential breakdown because I took part in something that violated my morality um, and wherever that morality comes from, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it comes from because you got it in church or in Hebrew school or, you know, your mosque or, or whether it's just something that was taught by your parents or whether it's something that you learned yourself because, you know, uh, of, of, you know, or it also too, a lot of it comes from the conditioning that we get in the military, the conditioning that we are the good guys, that we are the heroes, that we are uh, fighting for freedom and liberty. But, it, you know, in that type of cliched stuff, which I don't think a too many guys buy into so much as that they do believe that they are there protecting people. They do believe that going over there is going to make the United States safer, that if we're not fighting them over there, we will have to fight them here. And then when they get there and they recognize what's going on and then they come home and then they start thinking about it, they realize that that's complete rubbish, that that's just BS, that's just, that's just what the politicians say, you know, and the generals say, and it doesn't have anything to do with reality. Well, then it starts really the effects of what they did, the effects of taking part in that killing that really starts to um, cause, again, such distress um, that uh, suicide becomes the only option out. Um, it becomes the only way to stop because that pain, that uh, emotional, spiritual, mental, moral pain, that agony is so great. It's, and you hear this from guys. You hear this from guys who, who lost their legs, you know, who have different, you know, same thing with me. I mean, my migraines are, are brutal. They, they've, they've ruined my life. You know, I'm bed bound a few days a week, et cetera, you know. Um, however, I would, if I was given a choice of taking the migraines or the my, moral injury, I would take the migraines, mm. you know, any day, right? Okay. You know, and so you hear this from other guys, guys who've lost legs, arms, you know, that moral stuff, that's the stuff that makes you want to kill yourself. The other stuff you can get through, you know, the other stuff you can, you know, you, 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 
mil, you know, you were probably a, an athlete in high school or something. You were probably, you know, you were a tough kid. You were, you know, you joined the Marine Corps, you joined the Army or whatever. They taught you how to get through pain. They put a big pack on your back, made you hump 20 miles, made you march 20 miles. You know, uh, you can deal with pain. You can get through things. Um, but that moral stuff, man, that's the stuff that really uh, – uh, that that is the, the I believe and 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 again again the research and the literature out there backs it up. That's the seems to be the, the prime indicator for the reasons why uh, com, combat veterans uh, kill themselves. Yeah, you know, you made me think of um, Jordan Peterson and and in in, mm-hmm. in a good in a good way because he he would uh, talk about at least when he first came on the scene, he would talk about how the major indicator of PTSD wasn't necessarily what you experienced, but what you did. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and and so that, that made me think about that. Now I wanted, I, I did want to bring up some of my own personal experience. Okay. Because I never went to combat, but I know when I got out of the military, I was ready to kill anybody. I just did not care about anything. It took years for my personality to level out and get beyond that, that mindset of I am the baddest dude out here and I will just totally (laughs) fuck you up. And, and so when I went into the military, I was 21 years old. I already had, uh, two kids, one on the way. And, um, I, I was, I was an angry kid and I don't, I can't specify like generally why I was angry. I could probably come up with some like realizations and some ideas, but it didn't matter. I was an angry person and I joined the army and I went into the rip program um, I filled out of rip due to an injury. That, that's from, ranger indoctrination, right? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yeah. And I felt out of rip due to an injury during airborne school. I had uh torn a groin muscle Ooh. and, um, I went through training just fine. I, I had no issues with these guys yelling at me and talking shit. I thought it was actually kind of funny, but when I got to my unit and my, my wife left me. I lost my mind. I, I, I don't know if it was just like, because of everything I've been through, it was, I was not set up for failure. I, I was so used to succeeding in, in the praise and, and the recognition. But when that happened, I totally lost my shit. Like there's no better way to say it. And I was, yeah, I'd say I was gone mentally. I was gone for years and I was struggling between the ability to survive and just to, to provide for my family. And also that, that struggle within that was, I had an enemy now and I wanted to put an end to that enemy. And so how easy it would have been for me to turn, like you say, to the dark side and do some really evil shit. And, 
And I, I contribute a lot of that thought process to what I was taught and the way that I was trained just throughout basic training, through airborne school, through uh, RIP, and, and, and the way that I was taught to look at life. Like how much of that like coincides with the, the toll that these men and women are taking on and, and, the, and the death toll? It, it has a huge effect. Um, and, you know, this comes about, you know, various studies were, have been done um, and there's some conflicting data uh, and some conflicting studies, but it, it seems that uh, in the military, no, uh, and this is done because the military knows this and they, 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 they want to know why, how come you send guys into combat, they don't shoot their weapons. You know, and they, it, this is this is seen. This is seen like in the um, in the Civil War. This is seen in the Napoleonic Wars. This is seen. You know, there is a big study done um, by a guy named S. L. A. Marshall uh, uh, after the Second it's, it's World the War. It's the entire reason. It's the entire reason that the the Prussian school system that the United States now has adopted is is in existence. It was to keep the those people fighting for their nation from running from the battlefield. Yeah. Or not firing their weapon. Not right. because they're, 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 why are you going to I mean, it basically boils down to, you don't want to kill anybody. You don't know that person you're shooting at. You're scared and everything else. But so there's two parts of it. One is to de dehumanize the other side, right? Mm -hmm. Make the other side just into basically a target. Make, you know, take away any shred of humanity from them. Um, you know, and, and there's a lot of ways that that's a lot of things that are built is built around, um, whether it's just the way the targets look that we use in the military to, you know, using um, trying to, to, to deface or, or, or dehumanize uh, the enemy. So you call them gooks, you call them hajis, you call them whatever you're going to call them to make them less than human. Right. You know, and then you also too, you're gonna you're you're, you're trying to uh, uh, make them evil, right? So if we don't go over there and kill them, they're gonna come over here and, and kill us, right? I mean, so you're 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 doing that. The other thing too is to make the killing reflexive, right? Is is to make the um, uh, the, the, the firing at the enemy doing what your squad leader is telling you to do, you know, calling for artillery fire, whatever you're going to do is to make it reflexive, to make it be almost instinctual to do, to do it so that like you're operating basically on muscle memory, that there's no hesitation, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, uh, you know, and that's the part of, you know, I mean, so for the Marine Corps, you know, I was in the Marines for 10 years, uh, the Marine Corps, you send, uh, a young man, and now women, because women can go into the infantry, a young man goes into the, in a room, or a woman goes into the infantry, and um, uh, going to spend 13 weeks at boot camp, at recruit training, mm -hmm. um, and then they're going to go on, and they're going to spend about six or seven weeks, between six and eight weeks, they keep, they change the curriculum every now and again, right? So six to eight weeks at uh, infantry training, um, and then they're going to go to and join their unit, um, and then they're going to spend the rest of their time in the Marine Corps, the rest of the enlistment, um, training to kill, training right. to be in combat, just yeah. building up that reflexiveness, being conditioned. But then, you know, Tommy, when they get out, there's no deconditioning. 
So it stays with you. So it's not like you're brainwashed because if you're brainwashed, you couldn't think about it. If you're brainwashed, you wouldn't notice it, right? If you're brainwashed, we wouldn't be having this conversation, but you're conditioned. And so conditioning is not brainwashing, but it does. And I see it myself all these years later, 20 some odd years after I was in, uh, you know, after I went through my initial training in, in officer candidate school and the basic school and all that stuff, 20 years at 20 some odd years after that, if I'm still watching the movie, say, and I ask people this, I say, if you're watching the movie and, you know, the a person is chasing someone and the, per, the good guy is being chased by a bad guy and the bad guy grabs him, but the, the good guy is unable to knock him to the ground and run away. Do you think in your head, okay, now's the time for you to step on their neck and kill them, right? You know, and I'm still conditioned that way. And I'm sure you're probably still the same way too. You're watching a film or a TV show on something like that happens. Your instinct, your thought is to kill because it sticks with you. And, you know, I asked my ex-wife or asked somebody else and they look at you like you're a psychopath, you know? I mean, like, because you basically kind of are at that point. You basically have been conditioned to reflexively kill. And, and, and it's a problem because one, it, you know, you're viewing the world differently than others. Uh, two, things that don't, that shouldn't add up to life or death, add up to life or death now for you. And then also you have, you see other things where, um, you know, the ray of domestic violence among veterans is extremely high. It's extremely high. It's roughly the same proportions as, uh, as, uh, um, as the suicide rates, as the homeless rates, you know, all these different things that we look at for with veterans and say, my God, you know, veterans make up uh, 18, uh, you know, I'm sorry, veterans make up about 8% of the population, but they take, uh, they account for 16% of the suicides or whatever the number is, you know, veterans right. are 8% of the population, but they're, they're, you know, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, 30 some odd percent of homeless males are veterans, but only, you know, 8% of the population is vet. So they're overrepresented. Domestic violence is the same way too. I, you know, um, this comes from a year back, years back, but Yale did studies two years, two years, uh, sorry, 20 years apart. Yale did studies on this and they found that that it was basically about the same, that, that veterans account for, you know, about 10% of the population, but they're committing about 20% of the domestic violence calls involve veterans you know so there's a propensity towards violence because that's what you've been trained and conditioned to do to to react to reflexively kill because right you know that's what the job is you know well, right and what, what i was going to say is just i wonder how much of um police brutality and police killings is mm. that as well um i think so you know I, I just had this conversation the friend i went hiking with uh today with our dog he has a concealed carry permit and we were talking about this very thing. And I said, you know, it's something that uh, um, I go back and forth on owning a, 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 a pistol. One of the reasons why if, if you're, if you have suicidal uh, ideation, it, you know, you shouldn't own a pistol. Like, you know, um, yeah, is it good uh, for you? so I'll probably, yeah. it's not good for me, you know? Right. And I know that in various parts of my life, if I had had a gun, I would have killed myself. You right. know, I mean, so, um, but, you know, so, I, but talking to him about it, you know, about having its concealed carry and the, you know, in the class you had to go through and the scenarios they, they put you through and all the different legalities of it. 
And um, yeah, absolutely. As if I had a weapon, I know I would be much quicker to fire that weapon than my friend Rick would be. Right. Because the way I was trained and then my time in combat where our, we have rules of engagement, but those are, I mean, I tell you what, they're a lot more lax than what you have if you're walking around with a concealed carry permit. You know, our, ours was that if you saw a weapon, you shot somebody, you know I mean? Like, so what happens if I'm in a Starbucks with my, with my, uh, you know, with my pistol and somebody walks in and I see their weapon? you know, and if they're just acting weird. Yeah. So absolutely. I think just from my perspective and how I go through life, and this is again, being 10 years on and or not 10 years, eight years on in my PTSD treatment and being, taking my medication and, and going to therapy and doing all the things that are important for me to be healthy and to manage my PTSD and my, my TBI. Even with that, I know I would be quicker to shoot than a normal, a quote, normal, unquote, person would right. be. And I have to believe that, tra- that that then transfers over to police. And I don't know off the top of my head, it'd be something definitely to, to look up, whether or not there's been studies of that, because it should be easy to tell. I know certainly, um, you know, you, you look at a, the work, the guy, uh, a guy like David Swanson does with World Beyond War, and I mean, David is very quick to, to say that, you know, the, the number of, of uh, mass shooters, veterans are very much overrepresented in mass shootings, you know, yeah. very much so that, that, that you know, I, I forget what the number is, but, but certainly uh, it's disproportionate to the veteran population. And I think that has to be the case, Tommy, with police officers as well. I, I, I can't imagine being a cop and um, being in a circumstance where somebody has a weapon in front of me, particularly someone that, and I'll still see this though, with the way the police have been trained, specific, particularly over the last 20 years, where they call, they call citizens, they call them civilians. I mean, calling people civilians, that's like a military term. That's like, call, I mean, that's, a, that's differentiating between you and the population. That's not a public Adverse, a public and a, and a, and a, and a public service uh, uh, relationship, that's a us versus them relationship. And then of course, too, how, you know, whether it is inherent bias or just also to the way a lot of police departments are, their attitude and uh, relationship with minorities, you know, they're viewed as the other. You know, so if you're if you're a guy who's done a bunch of combat tours and you're in that circumstance that is very familiar to you in terms of being in Iraq or Afghanistan, but you're in Raleigh, North Carolina or Cleveland or wherever you are. Yeah, I could see how it'd be real easy to, to, to fire your weapon in a circumstance where as a police officer, you probably shouldn't have. I saw um, the the reason that popped in my head is the other day I was I was reading through um, some Facebook comments and I saw a police officer arguing with a guy and the police officer kept using terms like insurgent to describe Mm. people that he had taken into custody and arrested. And I was like, that's they're not an insurgent. They're just an American. It's just a person. Yeah. They're a citizen. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 And so it really got me to thinking, it's like, how are we being, how are the police being trained to think that way? 
And is this in uh, in direct correlation to the service that they have provided, you know, as far as being military and you got to, at some point you start wondering how horribly these perpetual wars and you know, just as much, if not more about the war situation as I do. Um, I know you keep up with it very closely in, as far as uh, what's going on in Afghanistan, Iraq, and Syria, uh, those three especially, not to mention Yemen and uh, mm. Somalia and Iran. And you have to wonder, how is this damaging the next generation? You know, like what is happening to the next generation of our quote unquote citizenry? that it, it through going through these things and, and what's happening to the American culture because of the perpetual war and the way P, the way that these people see um, even their own very citizens as the other. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, 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 there's that paradox, right? It's like a dialectic because people are so removed from the wars um, and you could have, uh, you know, particularly by class, right? And, and shoot, who was it? Was it ProPublica? Somebody just did a, uh, um, put out a study that showed where um, combat veterans were most represented. And it was in the states that you would suspect to a large degree, uh, Alabama, Georgia, you know, um, South Carolina you know, as well too. The, 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 yeah, South Carolina was one of them, um, you know, and then you'd see places like Chicago, you know, um, so urban centers as well, disproportionate. Um, but, uh, you know, so, but you have, uh, entire high schools if if they're wealthy and they're white enough where nobody will go into the military you know i mean so you have not just talking about people who are uh, uh removed from the wars because of their age because of their demographic but actually uh the kids who should know other kids that are over in these wars don't know and if you go to like a university um, and you speak at a university, and I've done this, uh, you know, and, and probably my favorite thing to do. Um, but when you go and you lecture at these schools, um, these students will say to you, I don't know anybody, you know, I mean, I know so-and-so from my high school class, he joined the army, but I wasn't really hmm. friends with him. We weren't in the same, right. I mean, like, so you had like that kind of thing, but you know, and so you have this, this, this but they're also growing up with it all around them. And if you want, you can go on YouTube and you can watch uh, video from, uh, you know, GoPro cameras that Marines and soldiers were wearing in Afghanistan. And you can watch them get into gunfights and you could watch, you know, I mean, you can go on YouTube and you can see IED explosions and you could, I mean, like, so, and there have been documentaries done and there are plenty of podcasts, you know, uh, that talk about this stuff. So the information is there, but our separation from it is very real um and you bring up another point tommy is that um it is never ending right it, it's endless and right. so it just becomes the way it is the fact that the united states drops uh 70 bombs a day 
or whatever overseas, whatever the number is, you know, between 50 and a hundred, um, you know, each day is not, it's not news. I mean, and it hasn't been news for decades because we were doing that in Iraq in the nineties and it quickly became not news, you know? Um, and so this becomes the way of life, this perennial war. And it is something that um, the expectations that this is how life is supposed to be. And I know comparing the United States to uh, Rome is very cliched, um, but with cliches, there are a lot of truths buried in, in, in cliches, right? <laughs> that's why they become cliche. Yeah. Um, so, but I think that's the same way too, where for centuries, Rome um, was, was, was uh, you know, you had Pax, uh, you know, you had the, the peace of the Roman Empire, but that was only, I mean, there was constantly legions, you know, out fighting, you know, and I think about the, the, the time uh, where the, uh, so Julius Caesar, Augusta, uh, 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 excuse me, from, from Julius Caesar, say through like uh, 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 Claudius, you know, and, you know, th this time of transition uh, from republic to uh, dictatorship or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, that was like you had to go and spend your time in the legions to prove yourself as a man. And that's why the Emperor Claudius was, you know, kind of a joke or a laughingstock at the time, at least if you believe what Robert Graves wrote and everything else, because he didn't serve in the legions, you yeah. know. And you have that deification here with the military where um, – it is, you know, you're becoming like a preferred citizen. You're becoming a, a, a better American because you served in the military, even though so many people don't serve, even though so many people are so distanced from it, even though so many people have no idea of what it's actually like, because there's that distance, because there's that lack of experience with it, there leads to this, this like glorification of it that leads to almost like where members of the military and veterans are almost clerical in the sense that we are often untouchable, that the rules don't apply. And look, we have special veterans courts, right? So if I go out and I commit even up to, a, I mean, I could commit a felony. Um, and um, actually, I'm not sure. I just moved back to North Carolina. I'm not sure what, what North Carolina's rules are, but in Virginia, we had veterans courts. I would go to the veterans court. If I had beat my wife up, if I had done whatever, I would go to the veterans court because yeah. I have had experiences and stuff. And in some ways that's great, you know, but in other ways it's not great because it, it leads to a separate class. It leads to, again, this separate status for veterans where everyone has to thank us for their service, where we can't be questioned, where, hey, I've got, so I've got, my dog is, is, is uh, I, don't, I don't think she's full pit bull, but she's part pit bull. I live in an apartment complex where we've got those Nazi, those crazy, stupid breed restrictions, right? But mm -hmm. because I'm a veteran, the breed restrictions don't apply to me. All I had to say was I'm a disabled veteran. And they're like, oh, yeah, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, I like, you know, to, to, to paraphrase, you know, Donald Trump, I could shoot somebody and people would still love me because I'm a veteran. Right. right? You know, I mean, they would right. say, oh, he's a veteran. You know, what I mean, so there's there's, uh, you know, and, and some of it's good because veterans do need the attention and the help. And a lot of guys do uh, have problems and cause problems 
because of these invisible wounds they're bringing home from war, but it also leads to excusing guys for things they shouldn't be excused for, and also leads for not questioning you know, the wars, not questioning the generals, not questioning politicians who are, you know, putting these guys on their shoulders uh, and parading around with them to excuse their own political actions and excuse their own political uh, motives. So, yeah, there, it's, it's a real problem that you're digging into, Tommy, where where does this lead to and yeah. how does it end? You know? Yeah. Well, and you you brought up Rome and it just made me think of a, a joke I used to make is that the Pentagon could declare war on Poseidon and, and the military would be at the, <laughs> at, at the ocean firing bullets into, into the, into the sea. Um, oh yeah. And, and people would think it would be normal. And, and so oh, absolutely. I, I, I've, I've, I've said that several times that, you know, you got to, step back and think about this, not only from the human perspective, because I feel in a lot of ways, I feel bad for veterans because I, because I've been there and um, mm -hmm. I feel bad that they believe that what in what they're doing and what they're getting involved in. And they're, you don't like the term brainwashing, but they are, they have at least been conditioned to believe yeah. that what they're doing is correct. And it leads them to nothing but the Nuremberg defense that I was just mm -hmm. following orders. And that's, that's sad because there's no justification and you can't justify what you were doing. And when you come to terms with the idea that you can't justify your own actions uh, in any way, shape or form, I think that leads you to down the path of PTSD, uh, down the path of suicide, down the path. And we wonder why there are 22 veterans a day that commit suicide and they can't justify the actions that they were involved in, you know? Absolutely. And, and you know, and there's a number of reasons why guys don't question what they've been through. Don't think about the bigger picture, you know, don't, um, don't express like that intellectual curiosity about what they've been through. And, um, you know, so a lot of it's the group think you're in a bubble. Um, you get out of the military, you're still in the bubble because all your friends were in the military. You're still on Facebook together or whatever. You're still sharing the same kind of memes. Um, but also too, you don't question because you're afraid of where that's going to lead. If you open those doors in your mind, if you start asking questions about what we're doing in Iraq, what we're doing in Afghanistan, you know, getting to the point that you were just getting at, Tommy, where is that going to lead to, mm. you know? Um, and, it's, and I think that's why the simplicity of the Nuremberg defense, uh, guys held that up like a shield, because that is a way for them to just you know, not look at what they've done, not open those doors, right? Just say, hey, look, it wasn't that I was, it was out of my hands. It wasn't my decision. You know, you're absolving yourself of responsibility. You're also absolving yourself of responsibility of thinking about it, of being critical about it, about examining it, right? You right. know, because if you do, if you let that stuff in, how are you going to close that door? And, um, and you hear this, I've heard this from, from, um, about guys who've, uh, you know, combat veterans have killed themselves. Uh, you know, um, 
that, you know, he was the kind of guy who always had to ask what we were doing. He was the guy who was always reading. You know, it, it, it tends to be maybe that the guys who do end up going down that path are the ones who have thought about it and who have examined it. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, you do. Uh, a lot of guys try and find that the best way. But, but, you know, by walling yourself off, you end up just having to build more and more walls, right? right. You just have to um, – that wall soon isn't enough. And now you've got to build it higher. And now you've got to put uh, a concertina wire on top of that wall. And now you've got to build a moat. And now you got to put alligators in the moat. You know, you got to keep the defenses keep having to be fortified. They've got to be, it's continual. You know, I'm it's starting to think what you're doing. I'm starting to think we're talking about Trump's wall now. Yeah. Good God. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you, you mean these, uh, you know, and that's, well, I mean, it's the same way in, a, in some way, you know, with his wall, it keeps the, 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 the bad things out. Right. That's the yeah, idea behind the, it, the unwashed the badness out the unwashed. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 yeah all those unwanted things that are going to corrupt us. And the if you let the, if they come in, it's going to, you know, how do you make America great again? If the things that have made America not great, you keep allowing them in. Right. Right. I mean, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But all right, man. Well, uh, we're running. We're probably I think we're over an hour now. And I don't want to keep you too long because I know you got your oh, that's your, okay. your dog and your life and Zoom might kick me off any moment now because Zoom tells me I have a free hour to record. But, you know. Oh, okay. And my wife just got back. Hey, look at that. You hear the door shut? Yeah. Beautiful. I can hear a voice. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's talking to somebody on the phone. Uh, she never, she never holds the phone to her ear. It's always on speaker. So if you don't want to hear her conversation, you have to stay away from her. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. What, what do you got to plug, man? Cause I know you're doing a lot of writing and what I would like to do is invite you back and continue yeah, sure. this conversation. Cause I think there's a lot here to uncover. I, I think that you and I can kind of dig into this a little bit and the psychology of people and, and things. And so we'll uncover a lot of things. Um, so I, I don't want to give the audience everything all at once, man. Like you got to keep them coming. Well, back uh, hey, more. I mean, always, uh, it, it's always good to, to, to thank my uh, think tank, the center for international policy. They've been incredibly supportive of me for the last 10 years, all through all my different problems. They've stayed with me. You know, um, so I'm very always appreciative of them. Tell, so, tell us about uh, tell us about them out. a little bit. Who are so, they? So Center they? for International Policy, yeah, based in D.C. Um, started in 1976, I believe, uh, by a lot of folks who had spent time in both Central America and uh, in um, Southeast Asia, um, and it's a uh, think tank that is dedicated to, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, reducing conflict, anti-militarism, cooperation. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, we do a lot of work on uh, the arms industry, mm -hmm. um, on weapon sales. Uh, we have a number of programs that focus on Central America, uh, on Cuba. Uh, you know, for years, we used to take... Uh, um, uh, members of Congress or other people down to Cuba 
you know, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, so basically we're very uh, left of center. Um, how, uh, however, uh, it is also a, uh, a lot of the work that is done overlaps with, uh, you know, libertarian right. And mm-hmm. so we actually find ourselves doing a lot of work with Cato, you know, at times, you know, some of the guys there, um, nice. but, uh, like you Doug know, but it, it, it's people like that. Doug Bandow. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, they do some, uh, Cato does some great stuff. Uh, you need to, you need and, to work uh, more with Scott Horton. Why aren't you working with Scott Horton? And, oh, I, I go on Scott's show whenever I, whenever I write something, Scott usually has me on. Or I if, know it's, he does. if it's worth, I know, I know he on. does. Yeah. I'm talking yeah. about the think tank in general. I'm not talking about you. Personally. Oh yeah. 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 No, <laughs> uh, you know, I've, um, it's, you know, the way we work at the think tank is a little different than a lot of other places. Um, mm-hmm. We don't, um, the think tank won't take money. We won't take money from corporations. So we're limited to individual donors and yeah. also foundations who oh, give no. grants. So that means that the way it works is that if you work there, you have to raise a lot of your own money. Um, so there's only a few people who are there who actually are kind of employees in the sense that the organization pays them. Most of us are there who are there um, have to raise money on our own. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, just, it's, it's kind of a way, it, and that's the way it's been done um, specifically to keep the organization um, from one becoming, I think, stale, or becoming just uh, 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 complacent, but also too from falling under the sway of corporations, from yeah. falling under the sway of, 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 you know, I mean, and there, there are some corporations out there that have good intentions who might want to fund, you know, look, if you're a corporation that doesn't be- benefit anything from the weapons industry, and you understand that the US State Department's primary role is just to sell weapons these days, you know, you might be a corporation that says, you know what, this is not right. And it's not helping our business to have a state department and a foreign policy that's geared strictly towards weapon sales, strictly towards supporting dictatorships, strictly towards supporting war, not really interested in the rule of law, not really interested in commerce, you know, et cetera. You know, so yeah, I mean, but um, so there might be some corporations out there that would be interested in supporting such things that we do at the think tank, but mm-hmm. it's just been the way it was, was set up and, um, and there's no, and there's tough times, man, trust me, like, in the now it's it's doing okay because people hate trump and when like george bush was in office um we were doing well money wise because people you know people on the left hated bush so you give money to think thing but when a guy like obama's in office though you know, and your guys in office, you're not going to give money to a think tank that, or you may not give as much because you don't think there are problems that exist or why are you going to give money to an organization that's going to be critical of your guy, you mm-hmm. know? So you go through, you know, and I'm sure Cato, you know, and, and, and other, the, a couple of other good ones on the right, there's a lot of crappy ones on the right. And there's a lot of crappy of criminal. It's cr- the, the think tank industry in um i don't live in dc i live in north carolina thank god now but it's like you know you 
go to an event in the think tank industry and it's just so corrupt and it's so fraudulent. It, it feels like you've been bathed in motor oil when you walk out of it. Right. You know, you are just covered in that type of just gunk. You know, um, just shit. Gunk. Yeah, it's you, just terrible. They're, you can cuss, man. I ain't going to get mad at you. <laughs> uh, yeah. There are people who are, uh, there are people in the, who, who are, of course, great, you know, and people who, right. like Doug Bando, yeah, who actually are uh, legitimately concerned with, uh, making the United States a better place, making our world a better place, uh, you know, and who are honest in their thoughts. Uh, right. But then there are a lot agree of with them or not, whether you agree with them. Yeah, or exactly. Not. Yeah. Yeah. That's you exactly. at least and know they're coming from a good place. Yeah, and I don't agree with with uh, you know most of what Cato you know on on the economics and everything. I'm not you know in the same place as Cato is you know and on other issues. But like you haven't read enough I, Austrian most of the economics. Guys, that's not that's not their. Fault. That's like, oh I know no Scott would beat me over the head with that. <laughs> Scott would totally beat me over the head with that. Yeah, we don't get into. He's funny. Like he will bring it up sometimes, and he'll accuse me of uh, of like uh, uh, what's what does Scott say? Uh, uh, you know. You guys on the left, you take your puberty blockers or whatever you do, you know. I mean, like, uh, but um, you Scott's know. hilarious. Um, now uh, Scott yeah. is one of the nicest guys. He's one of the best bridges to have oh. between the left and the right. Oh, Scott is wonderful. He's but, wonderful, and, and he knows this stuff. This 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 stuff about the wars. I don't know anybody who knows it better than he does. Oh, Jesus, I, I really don't. I mean, I'm like, so ready for he, his he really next knows book. it. Yeah. His, I'm oh, ready. his next book's gonna be killer. Well, his first book is the book, if somebody says, hey, I want to know about Afghanistan, like, where do I begin? You know, that's the book I point to. And then right. even for people who, like, know it, I, you know, people who I, I'll, I'll be around or whatever, people who, who know Afghanistan, I'll say, have you read Scott Horton's book? Because there's stuff in there that you didn't know, or there's stuff in there that you've forgotten. Because that's, right. what I, that's what I found. When I read his book, yeah, yeah, there is stuff in there that, one, I didn't know. I'm like, oh my God, I didn't know that, you know? I mean, and I'm a guy who spends, you know, most of his time reading about this stuff and dealing with this stuff. And I didn't know that, you know, mm -hmm. or it's stuff that you forget. It's important, you know? And Scott, and so that's why I'm really looking forward to this next book of his is going to be very important for uh, uh, helping us understand why we are in the world we're in now. I mean, he's going to do a yeah. wonderful job with it. Yeah, I, no, I, I think that. so too. Did yeah. you read, um, speaking of which, did you read Max Blumenthal's last book? I did, The Management of Savagery, yeah. Yes, very. Oh, man, you want to talk about breaking it down. Like, he killed it. Mm -hmm. yeah, other, than his oh, the next other than his definition of libertarian, but Scott called him out on that. On <laughs> show, <so>. <laughs> I don't <laughs> even recall that. But, like, but yeah, he's just an excellent journalist. Yeah, you know, no, and that I, whole I like great, him. You know, all across the, the whole gray zone, you know what I mean? Aaron Maté and uh, Anya uh, Pampamril, if I'm pronouncing her name right, and, and, and Max, and I'm not sure who else they have over there. But the gray zone, they've done, they do really great work. They right. are, mm -hmm. I mean, they definitely have their view of the world, and they're open about it. Right. Uh, you know, but, but their journalism is fantastic. You they're very good. You can't criticize their journalism. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like Caitlin Johnstone, like, uh, I, yes. you know, philosophically, uh, you want to get into politics, ideology, ideology. I'm, I'm nowhere near these people, you know, but it, I respect the work that they are doing. You know, uh, Michael Tracy's another one. He, he does some really good yep. work too, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, yeah. It really, it, 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 a lot of your better journalists are 
you know, left wing, like very, uh, what you would consider left wing in modern political, like spectrum at least, um, not necessarily historically. And so, yeah, no, uh, they do, they do some really good work, you know, even if they advocate the state, they do question like, what is the role of the state? And that's that they do some really good work. And, and they, um, and you do, you see a number of them. I mean, whether it be so like Abby Martin and Mike Preisner, or, you know, even if you look at like what the, uh, 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 the show on the, the the hill on YouTube, Rising with Crystal Ball and uh, Saga. Oh yeah, Jay, that's a good show. You know? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's a great that's show. A I mean, show. yeah, I, I like it. I watch a couple of clips of that each day. You know, I mean, because they are they are you know very honest. You know, mm-hmm. they they are calling out and, and they're they're principled. I mean, they right. are, I mean, I really do. When they say that they are for the working people and they come from different perspectives, you know, Crystal is, 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 you know, very left wing and Sagar is, is, you know, he's with the Hudson Institute, which is, you know, very right wing, I guess you call it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, but I, I really do believe that both of those people um, honestly have the best interests of the common person in what they are advocating for. I don't even care. Nice I don't that. even care if, uh, if a journalist has the best interest, as long as they are just honest, that's all I care about. Like Gr- Glenn Greenwald. Wait. I think he's a, I think he's smug and pompous, <laughs> but I think he's honest. Like, so I'll read yeah, him. It's a good point. <laughs> you yeah. Know what I'm saying? I've never met him in person. Like, I wonder like how he is like, yeah, exactly. If you were to have dinner with them, is he somebody you want to hang out with? That right. Video? Is he like, is he a good person? Nice person. He's got, he's a, got a big heart for dogs. He's got him and his partner have like a whole dog ranch. They rescue all these dogs in Brazil. So he's, he's really, oh, really? good about animals. I know that. Oh, oh yeah. 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 Google it. Look that up. He's got, a, um, they've got, I don't know. Uh, if you ever see like a, him when he's at his house, there's always like packs of dogs running around. He's got like 30 <laughs> dogs or something like that. So he's and got a good heart that way. I could but, just yeah, have a, uh, I could just be reading him wrong too. It's just my No, take. he does have a certain, there is a certain smugness that comes a, a, across. <laughs> uh, uh, he definitely knows how intelligent he is, you know? Um, so uh, maybe I, that's I what it he, is. Yeah. That, yeah. 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 Just that yeah. Yeah. But, you know, you compare these people to what you get on CNN or on Fox or whatever, and there's no comparison whatsoever. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's no, you know, um, there's just just seems to be no depth to the people that are on. There's no how can you trust what they're saying? You know, Mm -hmm. they've been and the same thing, too, with with the things that I grew up with. You know, understanding to be the aspiration for all journalists say like the new york times um right you know and now i shudder at that i shy i feel so i remember man tommy when i was a kid like and I, you know i was you know when i was like 13 or 14 years old it was like a big deal for me to get a copy of the new york times like i would be so excited i thought that was like the greatest thing and i like i shudder at that thought now you know, you know i man, mean like you know I, it just I, yeah I, I, I'm just late bloomer because I didn't even like pay attention to the news until about three years ago. <laughs> I was told, I was told 10 years ago, you got a great voice for radio. So I was like, okay, I love metal. I want to have my own metal show. And then, Oh, cool. I, 
I started reading news three years ago and I was like, that's it. That's what my podcast is. I'm going to hammer the man. <laughs> yeah. And that's like, I'll, I've been doing it. Yeah, so a hundred and this will be 113 episodes. Like, we just, wow. Excellent. Going after him. So yeah. Yeah. And Scott is gracious enough and I love Scott to death. Like uh, Scott is gracious enough to, to uh, put me on the, libertarian institute blog and and let me rant and rave and do whatever the hell i want to do and he's not responsible for anything i say it's all me <laughs> so, uh, he's uh, he is he really is a great a great person oh yeah no I, I, it was last august i i i got out to austin my wife and i we went to a concert out there and uh we actually got to spend a day with scott and uh Oh, cool. Yeah, we had a blast. Yeah, we went out on the I, out on the lake and on his boat and he took us out to lunch and you know, he's just he's just a great dude. He's he, he, being a truck driver is it's really weird. I've tried to tell people. I was like, you know, some there are some people that don't like Scott because um not not even because of what he is or what he does or who, he, who you know, what he says. They don't like him because people put him on a pedestal. And I'm like, "You know what? I'm a truck driver." um that's met scott in person one time talked to him on the phone three times interviewed him six times and he has texted me more than my family members to make sure that i'm okay out on the road oh yeah you know I, like oh, yeah he's just a wonderful yeah. guy he's just a beautiful dude yeah he is um uh, uh, and I, I've never met him in person, actually, you know, I've known him now for, I don't know how many years, eight, nine years now, I guess. Right. right. Eight years, maybe nine years, yeah. maybe, and have conversations with him all the time. Um, he has me on his show, you know, I mean, we end up talking for however long and, <laughs> and he um, will talk to you. I've never met him in you person. Will, you will not call he Scott will. and not be on the phone for less than four hours. He will talk to you. No, exactly. <laughs> he is, but you know, I, I was hoping that he was supposed to go uh, debate uh, Bill Crystal up in New York next they, month. They, in yeah, New York. they yeah. changed the date. They did change. The, it's still going to happen, but they did change the date. So it, it, yeah, it post happen. post coronavirus, right, um, right, right, right. So I was really excited because I was going to go up there for it and everything, and um, yeah. So I'll definitely have to. Hopefully, it works no, out timing wise. I think I think Pete's yeah. going to be up there too. Pete Quinones from Free Man Beyond the Wall. He's the editor oh, okay. of the Libertarian Institute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah I've never listened be, to his blog. You know, he has a really good podcast, man. He's he's got he's one of the better podcasts out there, actually. Um, if I do say so myself, and I'm a podcaster, and I just can't keep up with his mm. ass because that motherfucker is on fire. Yeah, so he's he's like, well, that's the, hey, that's you remember you remember uh, you you're a basketball fan? Yeah, I used to be. I, I don't watch it really anymore. Oh, but yeah, okay, you're growing you up remember, and everything. Yeah. You remember about ten years ago, uh, Houston Rockets versus San Antonio Spurs, and the Spurs were up by like. 13 with 30 seconds left to go in the game and Tracy McGrady just hit a hot streak and he made every three pointer that he shot and ended up the Rockets ended up ending the uh, winning the game by one point because that motherfucker could not miss that's Pete Quinones right now like he just can't miss right now he's just I remember I I remember that because people were comparing him to Reggie Miller and oh, Reggie he, Miller did that in the mid-90s against the Knicks. I'm a Knicks right. fan. Or I was a Knicks he, fan. I, I can't say I am anymore, but yeah. 
he's no yeah. Reggie Miller. Reggie Miller was consistent. Like, but I live in the I live in the Houston area, and so I remember that very well. And okay, yeah, yeah. No, Reggie Miller was consistent. Tracy McGrady was anything but consistent. Um, My um. So you're in, but so you're in a truck every day. So you get to, you can listen to, I, particularly now that everything's shut down, like I'm like not listening to any podcast because I listen to them when I'm in my car and I'm just not in the habit of listening to them in my place, which like I should, because like whatever. there's no reason yeah. not to. Right, right. Yeah. I don't watch TV anyway. Like when I come home, uh, spend time with my wife, I'm, I'm gardening, I'm tending to the chickens, I'm playing with the dogs. I'm sitting by the pond watching the ducks. Like I, I'm just I don't watch TV anyway. So yeah, yeah. Um, when I'm in my truck, I need something to stimulate me mentally. I I can't just listen to music. Though I love music. Don't get me wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm a '90s kid. I grew up. I mean, I I listened to Pantera and Nirvana and <laughs> Pearl Jam and uh-huh. all the '90s metal and grunge and all that shit but yeah I, I need something more mentally stimulating you know and so yeah i listen to a lot of podcasts i listen probably i'd say i'd say seven of 11 hours of my day is listening to podcasts oh wow yeah so i'm always either that or audiobooks i'm i'm, I'm always drawing in information okay. yeah for sure yeah uh, that that's kind yeah, of my habit yeah i um I, I I watch a bunch of things on YouTube, um, you know, and then I, um, um, you know, I, Jimmy I read Dore a lot. Jimmy Dore is really good. I watch a lot of Jimmy Dore. Yeah. Jimmy Dore is good. I watch a lot of Jimmy Dore. I, I, I disagree um, with him on a lot of shit, but he, he makes me laugh. He's entertaining. I, and he's, he's honest. And like he's we were talking about earlier. Yeah. If you're honest, I can disagree with you if you're honest. Like, that's fine. Yep. I don't have a problem with that but yep, yeah exactly yeah, yeah I, I don't um, i don't mind that you know but i'm not gonna listen to jim acosta like it's just not gonna happen or tucker carlson <laughs> i don't think tucker carlson's honest you know when tucker carlson comes out and calls hillary clinton a libertarian i'm like yeah you're not you're just not honest you just he said that yeah yeah he, he calls that doesn't even make it that doesn't even make any sense yeah, exactly because he doesn't know what libertarian you know? is and so it's like Okay, like if you want to be honest with me and you want to like tell me like what's going on, but to to compare Hillary Clinton's like intervention overseas or her economics to libertarianism in any way, shape, that or form. That makes no sense. Absolutely yeah. no sense whatsoever. You know? And so I just uh, I won't uh, listen to him. I know I know he's good on war for the most part, but I just won't listen to him. Yeah, exactly. I, I just don't um, any of that stuff. And I guess you, I could watch that stuff on YouTube. I guess I could hear that stuff on podcasts. Um, I'm annoyed at YouTube, actually, because it keeps, you know, the corporate stuff is starting to really infiltrate into YouTube, really? right? So I'll watch like my, say my a Jimmy Dore piece. Yeah. And then what it puts up next automatically is something from like CNBC, you oh, know, wow or Fox. Yeah. Right. You know, so yeah. rather than it just pulling up like the next thing of my subscriptions or something similar to Jimmy Dore, like say, I don't know, uh, some other progressive, you know, host like Jenk Uger or something, you know, Jenk Uger or somebody like that. Right. Yeah. It gives me like uh, CBS evening news or right. something. 
So definitely like you're starting to see the corporations really take notice um, of the, uh, you know, the, the value that a, a platform like YouTube or a platform like, you know, the podcast, Apple podcast or Android or whatever is starting to deliver to people. Right. Um, yeah. You know, they, cause they can't be happy. I, I know I, I used to go on NBC. I'm, I'm, I used to go on those shows quite a bit and it's been years. It's been six years, five years, no, six years since I've been on really. And um, just because I don't, if you're not on team red or team blue, right. If you're not going to go on there and yell at somebody <laughs> about, right. They don't, they don't really want you on. And, yeah, go go um, on Kennedy, man. You can get on Kennedy. Oh, I don't even know who that is, but, um, uh, she's, but they, she's, uh, she's this libertarian leaning, uh, Fox news host. And like, okay. she has, she okay. has like Dave Smith on, like she'll have you on. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The, the, um, well, Hey, I've had, uh, you know, I've actually been impressed with, I, I don't agree with anything he says and I don't like him at all, but he's had on people who he disagrees with is, um, Oh shoot. What's the name of that younger college? He's a big in the, with the colleges, conservatives, um, uh, uh Shapiro, uh, Ben Shapiro. Oh yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I can't stand him. No, I can't either, but he's had on members of, he's, he's had on code pink people, you know, oh, really? and not like in a, yeah. And not like in a Bill O'Reilly way. Um, so like the only show I would never go on, the only thing I ever turned See, down here's, without a here's reason my problem. Here's Bill my problem. O'Reilly. Here's my problem with like, with like having like somebody from code pink, right? Because it, it's not that I think they are completely wrong. I think their solutions are completely wrong. And so I would never talk to them. You know what I'm saying? And it's not because, I mean, this is my podcast. So I want to talk to people about, about <laughs> being, whatever you want, man. yeah, I want to be, I want to talk about being anarchist and, in doing things for yourself. I don't want code pink to come on here and advocate for the government to shut something down. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, well, that, that's yeah. 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 So I mean, that, that's my main but- problem. Like that, that's I mean, you could have, you could have, uh, you could have Medea on and talk about Iran. I mean, like that kind of stuff, like, right, right. No, I would, and I will talk, and I will talk to people that I disagree with. It's not that. It's just the fact that it's like, I don't want you to give me government solutions to government problems. That's like, that's, yeah, no, that's not interesting to me. You know, yeah, so. no, their their solutions are are would you know increase you know the size of government would increase the regulations would increase regulatory things you know they definitely have a much more top uh, uh, top down focus right right, right. than you know a bottom up you right. know I mean even even I mean, that's that's why I'm a libertarian socialist you know I like libertarian socialism because it is bottom up it's you know hey employee owned you know, a direct democracy, you know, local is better, you know, federal government doesn't do shit except for, you know, things that make sense. Like, hey, should somebody be overseeing Boeing? Absolutely. You right. know, um, yeah, no but would be better if the first thing to do though, right? The first thing why, where you could reduce your government oversight is if Boeing was owned by the employees, 
you know, um, well, rather than the banks. And right? I mean, that's in my opinion, right? You know, and this way you could, the employees. Have you ever read, uh, have you ever read, I'm sorry, man, like, but I, I, it just got me thinking. Have you ever read any of, uh, any of Samuel Edward Conkin the third? No. What's okay. his last name? Conkin. K-O-N-K-I-N. K-O-N-K-I-N. Okay. All right. So what, what he came up with was the New Libertarian Manifesto, and it was basically agorism, right? Counter-economics, working uh, in the gray and black markets, outside of the white markets, outside of the red markets, outside of the pink markets. So you're working in the gray and the black markets. So therefore, like a gray market would be like, like legal things that you're selling under the radar. So like- yeah here in texas like a, a person a person gun sale right like yeah. that would be hey, i just bought gray mark I, I bought my the, the office chair i'm sitting in my broke a few weeks ago or whatever a couple months ago and i bought one off a of facebook marketplace right garage right? Met sales. A lady in the parking lot we, yeah 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 we've emmoed yeah. i've emmoed the money to her drove away yeah yeah so that's what he he talks about that because he was in the living room with David Nolan and Murray Rothbard when um, the Libertarian Party was developed. And he quickly abandoned the party and came up with his own system. So what he says is operate in the counter economy outside of the scope of government, strangle them of money, and you and you collapse the government and you have all voluntarism. You know, it's all voluntary cooperation between individuals in the marketplace. And so when I look at that and I start looking at like the old anarchist thinkers like Benjamin Tucker and Proudhon and, and these guys from the past, uh, even Kropotkin, whenever he wrote the uh, morality of anarchism, and you start mm -hmm. looking at these things and you're like, okay, so it's not about being, there's no hyphen. Like Carl Hess said, anarchism without hyphens, or you can take it to libertarianism without hyphens. So you say you're a libertarian socialist and I'm saying, let's get rid of the hyphen and the adjective and just leave it at libertarian. And yeah. just say that, Hey, I want to, I want to cooperate voluntarily and however that operates, however that, that comes to fruition is okay with me. As long as it's non-aggression, there's no coercion involved in it. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know what I'm saying? And, and mm -hmm. I think that people complicate the entire everything through the hyphens. I mean, even if you talk to, uh, if you look at Noam Chomsky and a lot of things he said and he's written, he'll even agree with the, the market anarchist or the individualist anarchist and say, well, yeah, corporations wouldn't come to be if it weren't for government because no corporation has ever existed without the regulatory capture device of government. You see what I'm saying? Sure. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so he still calls himself an anarcho-syndicalist, but at the same time, he's promoting the exact same things as the individualist or the market anarchist. Yes. And, and, and it's like, okay, these hyphens and these adjectives are just too dysfunctional and they, they separate us all from each other when we should all be just be like, 
look, the state's the problem. How do we get rid of the state? And we figure this all out on our own, you know? Yeah. Like I'm not trying, I'm not a monarch. I'm not trying to design a society (laughs) the way I want it. Like I just think that it'll operate better without Tommy, King Tommy and his magic wand. Yeah. Right. Right. (laughs) Like this isn't going to happen. I'm just not going to, I will fuck shit up. I promise you. I will fuck shit up just as bad as Donald Trump's fucked it up. And I got at least, I, I, ca- I swear I got at least 30 IQ points on that motherfucker. Oh, well, yeah, I know. Hey, everybody, this, this microphone I'm talking into got that, right? You know, I, I kind of be, you know, I keep coming back to, I, I come back to, because I hate this, I hate this division between corporations and, and government. Like that, and that's like the false setup that we have in this country if, right. if you're if you're on the left you're for government if you're on the right you're for for, for corporations and it, it's bullshit because both of them are are you know i mean corporate well, democrats give more money it's to corporations it, they are it's the same thing it, it yeah. is exactly i i kind of i always come back to man if you have more than three people in a room you're gonna have problems right you know <laughs> like yeah. less people you know i mean that's well, i know i, I there, do agree. there was actually yeah. a study done i can't remember who did it I, um i was talking to john bush a couple of episodes about it and he he talked about it and that's where he came up with the idea of freedom cells and um basically like creating small communities of like 10 or less people and the study uh-huh. that he had read and that he cited was eight people like eight people or less is is what it takes to cooperate voluntarily and i was like okay that makes sense because you get less egos you get more people like okay let's talk this out you know less likely to have somebody that's violent or just aggressive that's right yeah that's yeah just any any of the relationship stuff you get into jealousies you get into i mean all kinds of stuff right right people are just yeah, how we made it this far, man, how we made it, you know, uh, how our ancestors made it through everything they made through with all the other nonsense that we bring along as human beings, I have no idea. Well, I can you tell know? you exactly how they no did it. I can tell you exactly how they did it. See, we live in a civilized society. They chose to be uncivilized, and that's how they did it. Have you seen uh, – you don't have a t- you don't have television, but uh, I know I, I do. I just don't watch it. It's just useless. okay. It, it, there is a uh, uh, I'm a big I'm a big movie movie guy. I like movies, and I, I also movies. like I like TV shows if they're good. So there's a uh, an Australian film called Nightingale, and it takes place like in 1840s Tasmania, mm-hmm. and um, there in and it really gets into how the English treated the Aboriginals there as well as to it juxtaposes in the Irish who were working there as to pay off like uh, as, as, as parolees basically as part of their probation or whatnot um, where they were sent there and worked. Right. And, uh, but anyway, at one point the, the, the protagonist, the, the Irish woman is talking to this, this Aboriginal man. And uh, she asked him, she references like one of the British soldiers and she says, do you have people like that in your culture, in your community, among your people? And he right. said, yeah, of course we do. And she says, well, what do you do about it? And she says, we talk to them. And then she says, well, what happens if they don't listen? And he looks at her like she's crazy. And he, then he says, well, we kill them. 
you know, and the, 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 the idea being is that we have allowed these uncivilized people, right? These psychopaths, these, 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 these Trumps, these Clintons, these, you know, Obamas, whoever, to have these roles in our society right. that, you know, in other societies, they would have killed them, you know, like right. they would have killed a guy like Trump, you know, because they recognized what a threat he was to their well-being. Right. And I thought that was so profound. Yeah. You know, I really did. I thought that was so profound when she asked this guy um, and his response was simply, we kill them because there's nothing else you can do. Yeah, they're, you know? they're no good. And maybe we don't have to they... kill them. Maybe we can send them to an island, you know, well, like it, the British well, did, right? <laughs> yeah, well, like even today, like the, 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 you know, shaming people and ostracism and this, that, and the other are considered like off limits. And it's like, no, these things work. Like you don't, you don't always have to imprison somebody to get them to behave within whatever norms of, of oh, your yeah. society. Like ostracism works. Shaming people publicly works. Like you don't have to, but, but it, it, it's also, you got to look at the office and you look at the executive branch and the amount of power that is just incorporated there. You look at, police officers and the amount of power that is just conglomerated in that area. What type of people do you expect it to attract? That's right. Yeah. That's I right. Mean, it's going to be the people that want the power, that want to abuse the power, that want to utilize the power for their own ends. It, it has nothing to do with society. It, it, I've got a good, yeah, I got, no, go I got a good friend of mine. His uh, got a good friend of mine he always comes back to uh, Norman Cousins book, the pathology of power, yeah. you know, yeah. and I can't remember if it was cousins or somebody else who was, you know, their thing was that like uh, 3% of the population is psychopaths or whatever. And Shay always comes back to that. And he says, you know, you take 3% of 320 million people, you know, you get about 10 million people. Right. That's a lot of people who are That's running and they grab psychopaths. That's right. And those people are the ones that gravitate, just like you said, Tommy, to the positions of power. Mm -hmm. They're the ones who gravitate to becoming police officers. They're the ones who have no qualms going into politics and lying to people because they know what they want. You know, I mean, in the sense of want from themselves, not for what the people want. Right. You know, I mean, these are it's very easy to see how, you know, psychopaths just dominate you know, so many things. I mean, um, you got to think about it this way. Like you're a veteran and, and so, and, and, and you've suffered through PTSD or and you still suffer from it. It's still like a daily struggle for you. And oh yeah, I'll be lifelong. Right. And, but like, could you imagine somebody that fed off of it? And oh, those are the type oh, of people that's the people we're talking about. They're yes. feeding off of that misery. They're feeding off of it. That's the people that are running the country. Those are the people That's that, exactly right. you know, go into policing and, and it's and going to Congress. And, you know, you get a Thomas Massey every once in a while. And whether you agree with him politically or not, you got to admit the guy is at least honest. You know, we've talked hey, about he, that. He, Ma Massey was the only one who had the guts to do what was right about that fucking bailout bill. He was yeah, the only one. I mean, and I'm, he, I, yeah, he's you know? The only, he's the only Ron Paul that we have today. You know, like literally. Yeah. 
you know, and, and yeah. And so you, you may disagree with him on economics. You may disagree with him on all these other things, but you know, he's in there for the right reasons, but the others, right. which other ones can you point to and say, well, I know that guy's honest. Like none of oh. them. They're all I tell you what, crazy. <laughs> on, on, you know, man, on my side, like on the progressive side or whatnot, there are people who are going through, and Jimmy Dore has been on all over this, and, and Crystal Ball has been on this, you know, and other folks on, on the media has been on this. Gray Zone, I think, talked about it. Um, but this whole thing with, like, the reality of who uh, AOC is, yeah. is that she's not the person that people yeah. think she was going to be. I was actually, like, I've actually been surprised. I've actually been surprised. I'm really just – I was, I've never, I hardly ever give money to a candidate. I was giving money to her every month because I believe that what she, when she ran and she defeated Delaney in New York and, you know, and, and, and she was saying things and, but it turns out she ran that way just to defeat the incumbent. My dad, she's turning into an incumbent like everybody else. My dad sent me a video uh, whenever like she was first elected and uh and it's this conservative guy it's not somebody i watch very often but i know who he is mr reagan on youtube i don't know if you've ever ran across this show no all right so my dad sent me a video and he's like you need to watch this because i was defending aoc on some of the things she was saying not everything because i i think she's economically retarded but you know, like, uh, I, I was at least defending some of what she was talking about. Sure. Far, like Israel and this, that, and the other. I was like, yeah, well, yeah. Like we don't have to be beholden to these people. Like, you know, like she's making a, a actual valid point there. And he sent me this video and it was basically like, she was a plant and she was propped up and she was conditioned and she was groomed by these corporations to enter into Congress, um, into this position in order to ease a lot of the controls and a lot of the, the arguments against corporations. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. But the more I see this, the more I hear Jimmy Dore, because I don't know anything about AOC unless the progressive media talks about it. Unless like Aaron Maté or Jimmy Dore or, yeah. um, What's his guy? Uh, secular, uh, secular talk. Oh, secular progressive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, no, no. Secular uh, talk. The guy that's been on Joe Rogan a couple of times. Uh, oh, Kyle Kalinske. Yeah. That guy. He, yeah. 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 So if they talk about it, I under, I know what's going on with the progressive, you know, uh, with the progressive side of the movement, and 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 hearing them talk about what AOC is doing, I'm like. This guy, Mr. Reagan, sounds like he was on to something from the very beginning. Like, uh, they, you, like it, as much as I, I disdain conservatives more than I disdain progressives, it, because I think conservatives just don't understand what they're saying. Like, they just don't get it. They'll say something, and then they'll argue the exact opposite. At least progressives yeah, yeah. Are, are always arguing for more government. They're never... They're never saying we need smaller government and then arguing more government. You don't get that. Yeah, right. Exactly. Conservatives will will, uh, 
uh, say we need smaller government and then vote for a four point four trillion dollar government. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, so I have a lot less you know? pain for progressives because at least they're a little bit. Like I say, they're more honest, like where they're coming from. At least I understand where they're coming from. And but so, you know, I mean, it, it, it's you're right though with Massey. I mean, I, I've seen and and the Russia Gate stuff was awful. Oh, you know, man, uh, horrible. Tulsi Gabbard was the only one who did anything, you know, she didn't vote. She, 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 she didn't vote or, or she abstained or whatever she did. Right. Um, yeah. She was the only one I thought who did anything, you know, and then, um, but now she's like, she's, Hey, she's supporting Biden. You know, she's like going along with, with vote blue, you know, I mean, like, right. like, so you're just, right. you, you throw your hands up in the air. Well, because and, nobody, and, you, and you actually thought that she had a fucking set on her whenever she abandoned the DNC and endorsed. That's right. You know, uh, what's his Sanders, name? Yeah. Sanders. Uh, in 16. Yeah. I hate Sanders. I think he's a retard. Like, I think he's totally stupid. I think he's a dope. I have nothing, nothing in common with that guy. But the fact of the matter is it showed that she had some fucking huevos and she was able to like step outside and do this. And then she just goes and endorses Biden. And it's like, I know if you had any balls on you, you would endorse the green candidate. You would endorse. Yeah, that's else. exactly right. You know, like well, yeah, I don't even you- agree with the green candidate, but Jesus, if you would endorse Jesse Ventura, at least I would know you're an honest actor. That's right, you know, <laughs> or say, or say, I'm not endorsing anybody, you know, right. or, or at least something. But then go with Biden. Biden's worse than worse than Clinton in a lot right. of ways, I think. Yeah. But that's right? what Ron Biden's Paul, been. I mean, when did Ron Paul ever drop out of the presidential race and endorse the front runner? That's not what he did. He said no. All these he guys never, were horrible. Right. I mean, he never he never endorsed Romney. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Or or Gingrich. Like he was like, no, these people yeah, are horrible. Right. Like, why can't you be the left version of Ron Paul? Like, why is that impossible to be? And I, I thought it was going to happen possibly with AOC or Alan Omar, I thought might do it. And none of them are doing it. Rashida Tlaib, they're all falling in line. They're all these, all, all these, all of, the, and all of them. And, and they had such a chance, you know, as like, as, as younger women of color coming into the right, taking on, they had such a chance to like, man really make their mark and maybe they would go down in flames or whatever but they're all young and they all have a future ahead of them right and but they're all turning into being like i want my future to be 35 years in the house of representatives right well and and, and and nobody nobody can can confuse elon omar or or alexandria ocasio cortez with dennis hastert until they sold out you see that's what right. I'm saying? That's, like Dennis that's, that's exactly was, right. He's scum. He was the scum of the earth. He was a child molester. Why are you yep. associating with these people? Like, why that's do you right. want those people to accept you? I, I, and they all come from, I, that's why, but they, because they do, because at heart, they're careerists. I'm still kind of holding out hope for Alana, Alana Omar, but AOC Everything I've, I've I've watched and read over the last couple months, like forget it. She is just gonna she's gonna be in that seat. Maybe she's gonna run for Senate. Who knows what she wants to do? Right. But yeah, I mean, like, because um, she could be a. I mean, she's got all the pedigree of being a, a rising star. She is well, one. She's attractive, you know, but she's a great speaker. 
You know, I mean, like she's got a way about her. Like she is someone who could go far, um, but she's going to go far because she's going to go along with the establishment. Right. Um, and she'll, she'll be like Sanders, man. She'll be like Sanders where like she will go along with them for like 30 some odd years, always uh, saying something kind of outside the box that's not really outside the box. But compared to DC, it's outside the box. Well, she's going to be. She'll go along with them. Say you can say whatever you want, but what your voting record shows who you really are. Mm -hmm. And that's what it's going to boil down to. Yeah, that's what it's going to boil down to. Yeah. And 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 one of the things I had problems with with Sanders, and maybe you can explain to me why. I don't know if you were a Sanders supporter, and I'm not accusing you of supporting Sanders. But one of the problems I always had with Sanders beyond just disagreeing with him on the economics um, was he never changed his mind on anything. And it's like, are you unwilling or unable to learn? Like that doesn't make any sense to me. 40 years in Congress, 40 years in the Senate, and you've learned nothing, like nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing you've learned. Yeah, I am. So I voted for Sanders in the primary, this last primary, um, because he was the closest thing, you know, it it felt good to have somebody that like, you kind of actually was, was kind of close to someone who was like, hey, I I like, you know, my attitude was I like a lot of what he's saying, like, some of these programs good. However, as a person, and as a senator, I don't like anyone who's been in the same institution for 40 years. You know, I mean, no matter who you are, you're institutionalized. You know, I mean, you're you're part of the system. He had made like a grand bargain with the Democratic Party decades ago where like he could be an independent. They would, I mean, like, so he's like, he's as slimy as all the rest of them. Um, And I think, uh, I don't know. Like, I I think what's going to, he's going to be, it's going to be said about this campaign is that he was feckless, right? He just didn't have the courage to really go after Biden. No balls whatsoever. and you wonder why? Why is that? That's what I keep coming back to, Tommy. You're an old man. What? He, well, what that's the, his personality. Happened? That was his personality from the get go. We saw it in 2016 when the Black Lives Matter girls took the fucking microphone yeah. from him. You know, I yeah. knew at that yeah. moment. I was like, this guy's never going to be president. He's a pussy. Yeah. You know? and Nobody's going to look so- at him as strong enough to lead anything. But, but my point, my, my entire question has always been, how can you follow a guy? How can you believe in a guy that has never, like in the last 40 years, has refused to admit that he's been wrong on anything? Like I've heard people say, well, I like him because he's been consistent for 40 years. Well, to me, that's a red flag. Like, <laughs> that's, I you know, I agree. Like I... <laughs> And because I don't think he's like the intellect of, okay, say a guy like Chomsky, if you go back 40 years and re- read what he wrote, like it's probably along the same lines, but he's advancing in a certain yeah, way. Yeah, he's developed. Sanders He's developed his Exactly. Thoughts. He still has, you know, and I, I think that's, I think you're exactly right. Anyone who is not changing or evolving or developing, as you just said, over time, is someone that I'm always very worried about or mm-hmm. someone that I realize is do, doesn't know anything more than what the talking points are or the one book they read five years ago or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, yeah exactly. Because you do. You, you mean 
we all, you know, and particularly too, your transition from being a young person into like a middle-aged person, there should be change. There should be development. You know, I mean, certainly like I look at myself, I mean, I voted for Bob Dole in 96. Right. You know, uh, you know, like I was I reading mean, The Economist all the time. I, I, like, I was, I was, uh, I was a Ted Cruz supporter in 2016 against Trump. Right. Ooh. Like, so yeah. like, it's yeah. a, like, cause it's so like we develop, we learn things, we move. Like I've gone from completely like believing that Ted Cruz was a constitutionalist, understood the constitution and the constitution was the law of the land to becoming a total market individualist anarchist, like in a matter <laughs> of like three years. And it's because I wasn't like stubborn about what I read. I was willing to learn things and, and that's right. Damn my per, my my personal downfalls and and my personal biases and and look at things in a different way and uh, oh okay well shit I fucked that up I was wrong you know and I'll admit I was wrong you know and you're it's, willing to be and you're willing open you're you're open to possibilities right right so, right right you know I mean I if I said to you hey you know in ten years you may be uh you know whatever you would say, you know, it's possible. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's possible. Yeah. You know, I mean, I could right? you know, um, in 10 uh, years, I hope to not know anything about politics at all. I, I, <laughs> I, I hope to be in a position to where I am like buried. Like, you know, I got my, I got my nice property here. I'm, I live on eight and a half acres. Uh, I was sitting out nice. by, by the pond before our interview, I was sitting next to the pond watching my baby ducks swim around the pond with my two pit bulls playing next to me. Like I want that forever. I don't want to know what the hell yeah. the fucking politicians are doing. <laughs> yeah. That's a nice, nice image. You can yeah. come by anytime, dude. You're always welcome down here. Absolutely. I haven't been to Texas. I'm trying to remember when was the last time I was in Texas. No, I was in Texas a few years ago, actually. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. I've never, I've not spent too much time in Houston. Well, we're going to try to, well, I'm not in Houston anymore. I'm actually, uh, I'm actually east of Houston, um, near the Louisiana border off of I-10. But oh. um, what we got to do okay. is ne not this, I've driven past there. not this May, not, not next month, but at least one year after next month, we're going to drag your ass to Austin for Childerberg. And you can come hang out with a bunch of anarchists in camp and just bullshit. That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I enjoy that. Yeah, 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 for sure. But hey, like, uh, let's really wrap this up, man. I keep saying we're going to wrap it up, but we get off on another tangent. We got apparently we have at least six more podcasts you and I can do amongst the, ourselves. So we're gonna. Yeah, that sounds good. I enjoyed it. We're gonna set these up, but make sure where are you writing at? Where can people find you? In okay, so I'm at the uh, uh, Center for International Policy. I also have a blog, MatthewHo.com. Most of my writing comes on Counterpunch. Uh, and if people are so inclined, I have a Patreon account that people can support me in my work. And I am going to be starting a uh, video oral history project of the Iraq and Afghan wars uh, shortly. So hopefully we'll have the first one out in uh by mid-may all right and i, I just want to i want to make sure i say scott 
it, I know you don't listen to podcasts, so you're not hearing this right now, but this is a direct message to you. Get this motherfucker on antiwar.com more often. Get him on the podcast <laughs> more often. Pete, I want to see some Matthew Ho published at the libertarianinstitute.org. Seriously, like we need more, we need more Matthew Ho's in our world, man. Well, thank you. And hey, anywar.com, every time, every time I send them something, they publish it. They're, yeah. Eric's great over there. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that, that's, so. one of the, that's one of the best places to read any, anything. And mm. now, that's where I first ran into you was reading your stuff at anywar.com. And then I, I, I heard you on Scott's podcast. But I want to see more of this stuff happening. I want, I want you people to cooperate with Matthew because he's a great guy. He's a wonderful guy. And he's been a great guest. And I love you to death, dude. Yeah. Thanks, Tommy. I really appreciate this. It was great. All right, brother. We'll do this again. I promise because we got so much more to talk about. Absolutely. All right.